Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and I'm here today with John Dennis, the chairman of the San Francisco Republican Party and a four-time challenger to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. We're talking about what it's like to be a lonely Republican in San Francisco, why he keeps challenging Pelosi, and whether San Francisco's national reputation for being a disaster is deserved. Warning, this episode will piss off most San Franciscans. John Dennis, welcome to the podcast. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So you are a member of an increasingly rare breed, a Republican in San Francisco. <laughs> well, you say rare, and but you're speaking of increasing, the Republican Party actually grew last year in San Francisco. Registered Republicans, Registered I just looked last a, night, are 6.6%. And so. we were 6.4-something oh, at the beginning of the year. you got 0.2%. I'm up. telling you. Well, listen, <laughs> the, 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 the ship has to start turning at some point. <laughs> And, but by the way, the trend seems trend is good. I mean, uh, we're hoping to get to you know seven percent and just keep moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. So, what is it like to be a Republican in San Francisco? It's kind of an an anomaly. Does it feel lonely sometimes? Well, listen, San Francisco is a very liberal, accepting place. Even um, of Republicans. Well, you can be anything you want. You can do anything you want. It's it's totally uh, not allowed to discriminate against anybody. Except Republican, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but I have to say, I mean, one of the reasons why I got involved in politics back in 2007 was because I felt like I was living in the shadows. I wasn't with the program that was going on here, and I just felt like, if not for anybody else, certainly for myself, that I'd feel better if I sort of spoke out and said I don't agree with what's happening. Mm-hmm. So you're running for Congress against Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. This is your fourth try. Is fourth that right? time, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the charm. Fourth is a charm. <laughs> Why do you keep trying something that, I mean, if you look at stats, is almost certain to fail? Well, uh, because I think what I was just saying, I mean, we need a, a, a strong Republican voice. Listen, well, the cities have has troubles. You've covered mm-hmm. these troubles better oh, yeah. than anybody Thank has. You. No, I mean, you're, you're writing on homeless. The, the homeless issue is, you know, is the, the source. You're the source for that. And, but um, – but those are, you know, these are all problems driven by Democrats. Which Republican in City Hall would you blame any of these problems on? Well, there aren't any. That's right. So, you know, we have other approaches that we can take. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've talked about some of them in other campaigns. And I feel like one benefit of being that Republican voice in elections is that I give cover. For example, in London Breed's New Year email. Mm-hmm. She talked about, you, you may remember from 2018, my position on homelessness is that we're doing all the things where we're helping, but we're not doing anything to encourage, you know. Your point was that it's all carrot, no stick. Basically. All carrot, no stick. Mm-hmm. And Linda Breed in her email in January said that we need to add a tougher love component mm-hmm. to the homeless problem. Right. And I feel like in some ways, people like me, not just me, putting that message out there gives her cover to give voice to the people who are frustrated with the with the problem, people who pay the taxes mm-hmm. and work here. Is your um, motivation more to bring this voice 
out loud in terms of running against Pelosi, or do you actually want to be a member of Congress? And if it's the latter, have you thought about moving somewhere else? I'm not that ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> I like San Francisco. I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to continue to live here. Um, and I think um, you know, adding my voice to the fabric will help to make it a better place. And that's that's what I really strive for. Mm -hmm. And what are the highlights of your platform? Briefly. Um, I want to use the power of federal money that comes into the leverage of federal money to encourage the city to do a better job at managing the homeless problem. Mm -hmm. You know, the city gets $45 million a year this year, um, specifically earmarked for, to deal with homelessness. And homelessness keeps, keeps getting worse and worse. And I feel like Nancy Pelosi has been a rubber stamp on that issue. I'd like to use the leverage. I'd like, I think it's a management problem that city hall management has been bad and that um, I'd like to encourage success. But I don't want to just give key throwing money at a problem that they can't manage. So if, mm -hmm. until they show that they can manage it, I won't issue, you know, I won't submit those requests into the federal budget for that. And, and by the way, I'll look at the rest of the $500 million that the city gets in federal grants and see where we're using it well and where we're not. And when the city shows it can use it well, then I'll, 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 I'll ask for more money. But they've got to show that, they, that they're succeeding on quality of life issues for everyday San Franciscans. Mm -hmm. Um, Pelosi, of course, has been in the news a lot lately for leading the impeachment of President Trump. What have you thought of that as it winds its way through the Senate now? Terrible. It's a terrible thing to do. This – I understand what her issue is. I understand what the issue is. But it feels like they were looking to impeach the president from the from before he became took, – took the oath of office. Impeachment is so divisive. It's such a – terrible path to go. And if she thought he was getting too cute with this business with Ukraine, she could have sent him a letter. They could have censured him. They could have, you know, taken some symbolic thing that said, hey, listen, we're watching what you're doing. Knock it off. That I think was the appropriate course of action to go through this whole thing that's going to only weaken the really serious business of impeachment is so bad for the country that um, that I think it's I think it's one reason why Nancy Pelosi really should move on. I mean, she should retire. And so you're a Trump supporter? Yeah. I mean, I, I, listen, I've liked Donald Trump since the 80s, you know, when I re read his book. So I've always – and I actually didn't take him um, – um, take him uh, – I didn't think he was going to run. Um, I, and I, I supported Rand Paul in the primary in 2016 and Rand's a, Rand's a friend. But I, I appreciate what he's doing and I think he's fighting some incredibly important fights for the, for the country right now, specifically against the intelligence agencies. The intelligence agencies have you know, kind of gotten a little out of control. They are way too powerful for their, for their own good. And I think that's what really this fight is about right now is, is there going to be a reformation of the intelligence agencies and who in the end do they report to? Um, what do you think he's doing that's good for the country other than intelligence agencies? Well, um, as, as free trade as I am uh, and as libertarian as I am, I do think it was it was time to re um, to renegotiate uh, some of these trade deals. For example, I lived overseas. I you know, had a company where we sold products into China through Hong Kong and through through Taiwan. And one of the interesting things was is that they always asked both of those distributors always asked us. Don't send us the product from Europe where we had a factory. Always send it to us from the U.S. because the demand for American products in China that made in the USA logo on the package is critical. We need that. That's what people want. They don't care about stuff coming from the, from the, from the EU. So there's enormous demand for American products is being stifled by, that, by the trade deals that we've, we've had with China. And if we can open those up, I think that would be a good thing. I also am very concerned about the relationship that we have with Mexico. Mexico is kind of devolved, as, if, you know, from, as many people have noticed. And I think, uh, you know, 
tightening up that relationship is something that's really important too. What do you think about his immigration policies in terms of families trying to cross the border and being separated? Well, I mean, it's you know, it's I know it's a it's a it's an it's an issue upon which we could demagogue. Um, there is a lot of child trafficking going on down there. It's important to know that the pe- that the children who are traveling with their with who are, the adults who are accompanying them are actually related to them or their parents. So that's one issue. The other issue is, is that if you do, you know, none of that separation is happening when people apply for asylum when they come into a port of entry that's only happening when they're caught running across the border in some other part of the part of the country yeah no it's that's that's it's not happening when they when they claim when they claim asylum so well he's trying to clamp down on asylum as well yeah, I, well, you know, I, as again, I have this sort of this libertarian thing and I've always been like, you know, let people in. If they want to come, let them come. But I sort of feel like um, – and this is where I think Trump has influenced me. Over the last few years, I think we've been overly generous with not just illegal Im- immigration but legal immigration. I think it's important that people assimilate. They spend some time here. I'd like to tie it down for for some period of time and then – resume our relationship with bringing – I like the free flow of capital and labor. I like all that. But I think I think assimilation into the culture is an important thing. Does his um, – the way he speaks and especially the way he tweets ever bother you? He's very divisive and has been so, you know, downright rude and mean to a lot of Americans. Um, yeah. I mean some of the – not everything is my, uh, is my cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. I mean – but – on the other hand, too, I find that there are times where people – here's the thing I found on Twitter because I've actually grown my Twitter following recently quite a bit. And one of the things I find on Twitter is that people, you know, hit out at you. And then when you hit back, they start screaming like, oh, how dare you? You know, it's like uh, – you know, and I find with Trump, he never initiates these things. He, he hits back in a way that m- most people don't feel is presidential. Uh, on the one hand, on the other hand, do you hand, think he's presidential? A, I think he's created a new version, a new dynamic in presidentialism. <laughs> Reality TV yeah, in the White House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's. I think in some ways it works. I don't think we're going to see another Donald Trump for for some time, though. I hope so. Mm-hmm. I'm Heather Knight, and I'll be right back with John Dennis. I'm back with John Dennis, chairman of the San Francisco Republican Party. Um, you've lived in San Francisco for 30 years, and how have you seen the city change since you moved here? Uh, well, um, you know, well, let's just talk about the homeless just to start with. I mean, there was always in the, in the areas where I lived, there was a homeless guy, right? There was like your guy in the neighborhood who lived in the park or, you know, was down the street. But now we have people everywhere. There's no, you know, there's, it, it's just become totally impersonal. And it feels like, like it's sort of invading this beautiful spirit of San Francisco. Like I take my daughter to school uh, one day, and there, you know, w- there's a woman in the uh, in the on the corner at the gas station, you know, in in a state of disarray. Let's just put it that way. And kids from my daughter's school are walking past, and they're becoming hardened to this to this issue. And I just think it's terrible for the soul of the city. It's really uh, really bad. You know, we're doing we have so many people doing so well. Um, and yet, um, we have this, this, this problem and I'm sorry to say, but I think, I think the city is almost 
entirely responsible for the way that it's gotten out of hand. Mm -hmm. So that's a big change. City Hall. City Hall, yeah. I mean, they've just mismanaged this whole problem. And I, I mean, you know, it's interesting how all the new neighborhoods have developed. And I love all that. I love the dynamism of the city. Um, it also feels to me like when I first moved out here as a guy who grew up in Jersey City, my dad was a longshoreman. It felt like there was more of a blue collar element, like the blue collar Democrat, you know, union Democrat who as through gentrification and the expense of the city have largely moved out. And what we've been left with is this sort of a, a feat, liberal, progressive, indoctrinated university types. And those are the ones who are running City Hall and they are enacting their social science experiments on San Francisco and we're, we're failing. So that has totally changed. And, you know, there's still good, great people here and great friendships and great relationships, but um, but the, the homeless problems and the social ills that we face really weigh down on, on the quality of life and how you live in San Francisco. The national media, as I'm sure you know, has been writing about this a lot in yep. recent months and is basically describing our city as the apocalyptic disaster that happens when liberals are running the show. Do you think that the city's reputation these days is fair? Oh, I think – well, yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, and I think it's going to take a long time for it to recover. You know, the idea, I mean, the thing that really freaks people out is, you know, people sleeping on the streets, uh, weight, human waste on the streets, you know, used hypodermic needles in the, in the streets. Um, and I think the city is actually, interestingly, we were doing this, we have this cleanup thing that we're scheduled to do. I think since Trump has been shaming and the national media has been shaming San Francisco, if you go into the Tenderloin right now, it's immaculate. No, it isn't. I was there yesterday. It was well, horrible. Well, we've been doing stuff. We've been, I've got it on camera. We've gone through, I mean, people like the CBDs almost practically fighting with DPW, who's going to pressure wash what it's certainly gotten, gotten better. Hmm. Um, but, um, if you go to 180 Jones, this parking lot that it, they're developing into affordable housing. Good. We need a place because <laughs> we're doing a big cleanup on February 1st. Okay, go there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was your question? Like, you really, 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 really? Oh, if you think that the reputation is deserved. Or yeah. Kind of no. Overblown. And it's, and I think it's, well, listen, we lost. The, the medical association we just lost Oracle World, mm -hmm. right? I mean, these are this this is not small stuff, and uh, and 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 everybody I know is talking about leaving. I mean, I don't know if you do you experience that at all, and where people th say Some, they're going to leave. But, Almost yeah. everybody they think about what's, what's my escape, my my my. Exit so what would you do if you were mayor? I know you're running for Congress, but if I were hypothetically, hypothetically, if if I were if I ruled the world, mm -hmm. now I'll just start with San Francisco. If I were the mayor of San Francisco, um, I would. Um, I would definitely um, add stick to the carrot on the homeless issue. Uh, Frank Jordan did that to some success with the Matrix program back in the in the nineties. It was unpopular for him. He didn't may have contributed to him only serving one term, but um, um, but I would definitely do that. I'd also I tighten up the budget. We spend a boatload of money in this town twelve billion dollars. I mean that's a that's a big big number, and I think we can tighten we can tighten that up and offer and really just focus have the city's focus be on the quality of life of its residents. It doesn't focus on that now. It's on its its priorities are on things like you know coming up with resolutions declaring the NRA a domestic terrorist organization. Meanwhile, there are people sleeping. You know, sixteen thousand people sleeping on the streets tonight. It's you know all this virtue signaling coming out. Of, uh, this is the board of supervisors when they're not doing their jobs. So I'd get them refocus on on quality of life issues for everyday San Franciscans. And you live in Pacific Heights, and mm -hmm. it seems that you're quite well off. Um, that neighborhood isn't exactly the hub of the San Francisco's homeless problem. So what makes you the right person to be talking about this? 
Well, let me take a step back for a second, by the way. So I grew up in a public housing project in Jersey City. So, and I lived in the Bronx, you know, I mean, and I went to, lived in Chicago and I used to box on the South side. So, I mean, you know, I, I'm familiar with urban, urban stuff. And also, you know, our neighborhood is not the, um, the hub of it, but we've also, we've also seen a Delta. We've seen a change. I mean, the, the growth in homelessness has uh, been terrible. And as you may remember, you know, we had somebody walk in our house in the middle of the night and, I, like I said, I mean, that didn't happen when I lived in the public housing project, and it's happening in Pacific Heights now. Uh, you know, uh, so um, how long ago was that? This was 2016, because it's when we got our dog, right? Yeah, so it was like about April. And, and what May. happened? Happened really quickly. Like we live behind a gate, right? So the. It, I'm sorry to say, I was asleep. My wife got up and confronted the guy, and he just said, oh, "I'm in the wrong house, I'm in the wrong house," and turned around and walked away. Mm. But he'd already broken into her car in a garage across the street, and then came into our home. And and to the credit of the San Francisco Police Department, they caught the guy, <laughs> arrested him, and he's in he's in jail. He did this thing called it's called a hot prowl, where he just walked into people's houses. I don't know if it's worse that he did it. Or that there's a term for it, <laughs> but you know, but that's what we what we were what we were facing. And um, so, even though I'm not in the heart of the homeless problem, I certainly feel impacted by it. Mm -hmm. You recently posted a pretty graphic picture on Twitter of a man defecating in the aisle of the Marina Safeway, and that kind of blew up on mm -hmm. social media. Mm -hmm. What did that image say to you about where our city's at right now? Well, um, you, again, you may remember the, the 2018 race. I, I said during that race. And you're that referring to District 2 supervisor. Yeah, I'm sorry. I ran for, yeah. su for supervisor in District 2. And during that race, I started talking about we have to have a program where we, we have to say, listen, you, these kinds of small crimes on the street are not small. We have to arrest people for committing those crimes. And then after two arrests, offer them a choice between – jail or rehab or psychiatric can help to get them moving. In. And if we don't do that, the, thing, the problem isn't going to stabilize. It's going to get worse. So now we're at the point where people are just like, there's no consequence. Let me just go in. I'm not even going to make it to the bathroom in the safe way. I'm just going to stop in the toilet paper aisle, which is where this guy did, drop my pants, go to the bathroom, clean myself up with you know Safeway toilet paper and walk out the door. And I have to tell you, this is a prediction, not hard to imagine. It's going to continue to get worse. We're going to see more abhorrent behavior. And I know this is anecdotal, but my friends are telling me that they're running into situations now where homeless people are getting a little more volatile and they're getting like a little more hostile. And I think that that's going to escalate. We are, this situation is not going to get better. And we are not taking in the concerns of average everyday San Franciscans. And the longer we do that, the worse this problem is going to get. Mm -hmm. Well, you've survived the serious questions. Okay. And now it's time for the lightning round. Good. Where I remember you? your lightning rounds. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? Um, oh, I have two choices, but probably La Taqueria on, uh, on Mission Street. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Ooh. Um, let's see. I, it's so easy to say something like Bullet, I suppose. I did like Blue Jasmine, though. I think mm -hmm. that's probably my favorite. We're screening Bullet. I don't know if you follow what. Um, my Chronicle colleague, Peter Hartlob, and I do, which is a little bit separate, called Total SF. Mm -hmm. And we just do fun stuff around the city. Oh, we fun. show San Francisco movies at the Balboa. Oh, nice. We're showing Bullet next month. Easy so. place for me to get to, Balboa <laughs> Cafe. There you go. Uh, where's your favorite place to get a stiff drink? That's, uh, yeah, I got to actually... It's tough for me to say because in January I'm dry, so I'm not <laughs> stiff that stiff at the moment. Um, I, you know, I have to tell you, one of my favorite places, great neighborhood place in San Francisco is Perry's. I love mm -hmm. going there. What was your first concert? Oh, boy. This is obscure. Um, 
and this is a question you asked before, by the way, Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. <laughs> <laughs> Southside Johnny is a guy who used to be affiliated with Bruce Springsteen. Okay. And they still are. Um, and they've actually wrote, written songs for each other and that sort of thing. So that's a real Jersey thing. What was the last book you read? Um, the last one that impacted me that, that was Tucker Carlson's uh, Ship of Fools. It's about a, it's out about a year ago, but that's and I've read other stuff in the meantime. But that's the one I'd like people to to read because I think he really puts his finger on issues. In a way, he puts his finger on the issues that got Donald Trump elected. Why is it that the red, that the blue states and the and the Rust Belt went with Donald Trump? And if you read that book, I think you get a better sense of, of what actually happened there. Do you own a Make America Great Again hat? <laughs> no, 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 I don't. Yeah, that's a funny question. Although I guess when I took a guy golfing out of my golf course and he wore that hat, didn't, nobody gave him a hard time. But he stopped wearing you it in San Francisco. Oh, he did. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he he was he was an early and often you know guy for Trump, and then he started getting uncomfortable going into coffee shops and wondering what he was being served with the way while, while he wore that hat. So he stopped Probably wearing smart. it. Yeah. Do you watch Fox News? Yes. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of Tucker Carlson. I like him quite a bit, and I find him a refreshing voice in the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but I watch you know, CNN quite a bit. I can't say I consume much MSNBC. I find them um, in another universe. But uh, you know, I do, I do you know, kind of go back and forth between those two. Who's your favorite all-time Republican? Um, this is an easy question because uh, because he actually got me into politics. Is Ron Paul? So you know, Ron's you know libertarian. Uh, his run in two thousand eight uh, got me into politics and kept me in. And I actually he was kind of a full circle thing. My first run for Congress against Nancy Pelosi. Ron actually came out and uh, and and he endorsed me. And he actually came out and campaigned for me. We had a big rally in the, the Civic Center. Um, and um, and then I've been fortunate enough to develop a friendship with Rand since then. And so he and I are. Yeah, become friends. In fact, he'll be out here next month. Who was the country's best president? <laughs> Actually, I'm going to go out. I'm going to do something totally off the off the res on this one. I'm going to say the guy who died in San Francisco, Warren Harding. Uh, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> That's I'll tell an you obscure why. choice. Yeah, yeah, it's an obscure choice. Well, I'll tell you why. Because we actually had a depression um, after the uh, First World War. Um, and... Uh, um, it was the you know it was the first one that we had since uh, since the invention of the Federal Reserve, and uh, Harding got a lot of advice about from Her- Herbert Hoover of all people to uh, to um, expand government and to help have the government help us get out of this depression. And Harding did the exact opposite. He cut taxes, he cut federal spending, and then we were out of the depression within uh, within about nine months. And then he died. And then he died at the at the at the palace. Well, I'm glad you didn't say Donald Trump. Yeah, <laughs> we might have stopped recording. <laughs> I love your objectivity. I mean, at least, <laughs> at least right, yeah. <laughs> Lastly, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Um, I always make sure to spend some time with my daughter. I'm, like one way or the other, it's just driving her to school or um, uh, just spending you know talking with her about what the day and what we're doing. And I always have to get my my Weimar on her out or else he'll nudge me to death. Mm -hmm. So I walk him and I take my daughter to school or do something with my daughter. Great. Well, thank you for coming on the show. It was fun to talk to you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks to John Dennis for joining me today, to Erica Carlos for producing this episode, and to you for listening. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. 
Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.